Hi, this is Nancy Urell, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And guess who's here with me today? It's Rosemary Thornton, and she is here on the High Road to talk about her book, Remembering the Light. And welcome to High Road. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here, you guys. Let me tell you a little bit about Rosemary. For 20 years, she's enjoyed a national reputation as an expert on old houses. She's the author of nine books, and Rose has been featured on everything from PBS, History, Detectives, to BBC Radio. In 2016, her husband committed suicide, and two years later, Rose was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Now, after a routine medical procedure, Rose bled to death. So in heaven, she was told that if she agreed to return to earth, she would be restored to wholeness. Subsequently, medical tests affirmed that not only had the disease disappeared, but she was also healed of the crippling grief. And I'm just so glad you're here to tell your story. You know, you write about your husband's suicide and your own near-death experience, but tell the audience what happened in, in your own words, please. Well, that book you talk about, Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life, I've spent three years writing it. And uh, the only reason I wrote it, we were talking just a moment ago about angels, the only reason I wrote that book was I felt literally a divine commission that here I was a writer. I'd written nine books and I have this remarkable NDE and I felt absolutely compelled to write it. And yet I didn't want to, I literally didn't want to write another book. Having written nine, I mean, one book I spent six years researching another book I spent four years researching. Wow. That's pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, that's 10 years of my life in two books. So I really didn't want to write it. And I felt very clearly directed. In fact, about six months after, and I call it my temporary death experience, being a wordsmith, I don't really like the word near death. Near death is, you know, if you're on an airplane and it's all going bad and you're plummeting to the earth and at the last minute the captain pulls it out and you're like, oh, we survived. Okay. That's near death. I was dead. I wasn't close to death. I died. My heart stopped. I was dead more than 10 minutes and had to be resuscitated with electricity, that's good and dead. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I first came back from this experience, and you're like, wait a second, I was just in heaven. Where am I now? Uh, my, th there was a nurse in my face, you know, in the hospital. The nurse was in my face, and she said, what is your name? And I said, Rosemary. She said, what year is it? I said, 2018. She said, where are you? I said, well, kind of a crummy excuse for an ER. But the point is, they were having bled to death, when somebody bleeds to death, which is what my cause of death was, yeah. you can't even do CPR because if you do CPR, you just push more blood out. Oh so God. I had no oxygenation to the brain for well past 10 minutes. And the belief is at that point, there's, there's significant brain damage and no point in trying to bring them back. So it really was uh, remarkable on so many fronts. But yeah, the temporary death, I prefer that because, you know, I was good and dead. Oh well, words matter. Yeah, they really do, actually. So you say this book is your divine commission, like you mentioned, and it's your fondest hope that it will glorify God and bless all of mankind. And that's why I'm really glad you're here today. So you can. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So you can confirm that, you know, so you left your body and I want to talk about the silver cord because I hear all about the silver <laughs> cord and I was a little confused. I, I just, you know, when you left your body. The silver cord, you said, did it detach or did it just kind of 
happened or the what happened? It, the way I perceived it, because people talk about a silver cord almost like it's an umbilicus. Right. And for me, it was more like, I wasn't more like, it was as though there was this silver, sinewy, shiny cord from the crown of my head to the heel of my feet. And it was as though, and it was as though it was an archer's bow that somebody had pulled back on and popped. And the second it hit my back, that's when I went flying out of the body, when my soul went flying out of the body. And I mean, you used the word catapulted a moment ago. That's the word I use in my book repeatedly. I didn't leave my body. I was, I was, it was like, you know, I used the description. It was like toast out of a toaster. I don't know if you remember the old Lucy episodes that yeah. she would hit the toaster and, you know, and then she'd reach over and catch it as it went flying through the air. Yeah. That's how I left my body. Yeah. And it was very, very, very dramatic. And yet all my life, I'd been a big fan of NDE stories. And I had read every book I could get my hands on, every one of them, you know, Daniel Brinkley and Betty Eadie and well, Raymond Moody's Life After Life. When that trade paperback came in, I think it was in 78 or so, late 70s. I read that thing so many times I wore it out. Wow. So I was fascinated by this. And I hear I was having this experience and I didn't think I'm having an NDE. I was like, all my life, I wondered what it's going to be like to die and here it's happening. In fact, one of the early thoughts that I had, that I think it's pretty freaking funny. Uh, I remember thinking my very first thought in this new experience was my heart has stopped. And I thought, how do I know that? I thought, I don't know how I know that, but I know that is right. And then a moment, a second, who knows, in the, in, a, in the next moment, I remember saying, I'm dying. And then I thought, no, actually, you're not dying, you're dead. Because again, you know, when you're going on to your reward, tense is the most important thing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow. But I laughed out loud because I thought, I'm hysterical. I am so funny. And I didn't even have an audience. It was an audience of only me. And I laughed. And I laughed out loud. And I heard myself laugh out loud. And I had... I thought, I, and then I thought, because, you know, as a writer, I'm very good at ruminating over every single thing. Yeah. I mean, I've really developed that skill to a fine art. Yeah. And I remember thinking, uh, this, is, this is all amazing. I don't have breath sounds. I don't think I have vocal cords. And yet I am producing sound and I am hearing sound just as I did when I was alive. Yeah. And I thought every single thing I am went with me down to my funny little giggle. And that was so comforting. Yeah, I wrote that down. You said, I, this is what you said in the book. I was still me right down to my quirky humor, deep voice and funny little giggle. You felt childlike. I did. I did. In fact, when I was floating away from my body, because as soon as I got home from the hospital, it was several days, I wrote down every thought and everything. Because, you know, being a journalist, I didn't want, I wanted to do documentation is everything. I want to document everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, when you were in that experience, what were you thinking? And I was like, okay, floating away from my body. This is great. Floating is fun. I like floating. And I was like, wow, that's pretty primitive. Floating is fun. I like floating. Pretty sad. Pretty sad writing. <laughs> yes, I felt, I felt so happy. Just so happy. Happy, 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 happy. Deep well, down to the bones happy. Well, I'm going to rewind a little bit because before you tell the rest of the story, I want to say that you asked God to either let heal you or let you die. You had asked after your right. husband committed suicide. And I kind of want to 
you know, get the audience to understand. And I want them to read your book because it's called Remembering the Light. <laughs> I want them to buy my book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll Please tell you buy what. it and read it and tell your friend at some big publishing house that Rosemary spent a lifetime writing. And at the age of 64, my dream is to have a book on the New York Times bestseller list. The clock is running and that dream is fast fading. No, I think, you're anyway. gonna, I think you will. I think you truly will. Honest to God, <laughs> I, I feel that. People are, are like, it's just all about money. You've never met a writer oh. if you think this is all about money. I just, I have been a writer since time began. And I would like, because I wrote about history, architectural history. And, you know, if you want to lose a lot of money fast, write about architectural <laughs> history. Oh my but yeah, no, it's it's just a personal dream. Every writer wants to be on the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, it's really funny. One of the one of the ugly comments I get frequently is like, you're just in it for the money. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Uh, no. And secondly, this little detail, if I was in it for the money, I would have filed a lawsuit against, there was actually two hospitals involved in this mess. I would have filed a lawsuit against the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, everyone who touched me. When I said I'm bleeding excessively and I need some medical attention, they said, you're going to be fine. You know, and they sent me home. So if I was in this for the money, there would have been a much faster path to money. But I decided not to sue anybody because nobody did this on purpose. This, you know, we, we do our best and sometimes it goes wrong. So yeah, I'm not in it for the money, but it would be pretty nice to have some success as a writer, you know. And I used to write for the newspaper. My first job I got as a reporter for a newspaper, it was in a town in Virginia. My very first job, I'm sitting down, I had no experience, and I'm sitting down with these very seasoned editors, one on the left and one on the right, and they look at me and go, Rosemary, why do you want to be a writer at this paper? And I said, I want to see my name in the byline. And they both laughed. You know, it wasn't for the betterment of mankind. Right. It wasn't to right social wrongs. <laughs> it wasn't to elevate society. I said, I want to see my name on a byline. And they both snickered and they said, yeah, that's why we do it too. So they hired me on the spot. Oh my gosh. But, but that's not why you wrote this book. You wrote this no. book as a tribute to God. I did. And SDG is solely... Deo Gloria, literally to God alone, all glory. That was the reason I wrote it. I appreciate you reminding me of that because I've had a day of just scurrying about. I'm like, me, 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 me. so yes, thank you for reminding me that I'm much, much uh, more spiritually minded usually than well, I am right you, now. Yeah, you are. Oh my gosh. Well, I, because I just, I thought so much of your book. I will say this. I read a lot of books and I interview a lot of people and I've written a book myself about energy actually, but um, I really, I mean, you just went through so much. I can understand how you felt after your husband committed suicide. You're like, okay, God, I can't deal with this. Either heal me or take me. And you, when you left your body, I'm just, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. You were happy to go. More than words can say. I really felt it was an answer to my prayers because I had three prayers I prayed every night. One was God heal me or let me go. In other words, I can't, I keep, can't keep going on like this and this much pain, this much grief. And two, um, no life review. I knew from NDEs that when you die, you see yourself, you know, you see your life experiences, mm -hmm. the highs and the lows. Mm -hmm. And I had had recurring nightmares about my husband. I mean, he used a gun. So I had recurring nightmares about this. I didn't want to go through that again. So I said, no life review, no more of that, no more seeing my friends, many, not all my friends, abandon me like rats on a sinking ship. I didn't want to see that again. And I also asked, I said, God, I'm tired of decisions. I can't, 
severe decision fatigue. I can't handle one more decision. So those were three prayers that I really clung to. And, you know, somewhere along the way, this woman came into my life, wonderful, wonderful woman. And she said um, she went through a very dark time when a loved one, actually her sister, killed herself. And she was just a child when this happened. And at first, the whole family was devastated, as you can imagine. Right. But ultimately, she developed this prayer. And her prayer was, and I taped this, I wrote this down and taped it on every wall in my house. But I said, she said, she asked God to heal her so she could help heal others. And so I wrote that down and I put that on every wall in my house, literally. So that wherever I was, I could remember, get through this so you can, you can help others. Because the thing about suicide, I wish I, pardon me, I wish I could stop doing podcasts on the NDE because I could talk for days about suicide survivors, but uh, we've got to figure out. You could talk about it. I mean, you had no, let's talk about it if you, if you want to, you had no idea that he was going to. I had no idea. You've been married for how many, how many years? How many years? 10 years. 10 years. So can I ask? And I had no idea. What happened? What do you think? Um, that's one of those questions I really can't answer for a lot of reasons, but he obviously was a very disturbed individual because, uh, you know, things went bad or wrong. So, um, I mean, even, even your dog, it, even your dog was like devastated. Yeah. I got chapter on Teddy. Yeah. And that's I read real. that. Yeah. Teddy had, yeah. I know that chapter on Teddy was very dear to me. And and Teddy died just as I was finishing the book. Teddy made it to just about 13 oh, years old. Oh, man. Oh. Yep. So Teddy died September. It's funny. Well, kind of funny. I died September 5th, 2018. And Teddy died September 3rd, she, you know, maybe in solidarity. Like I think it was for four years later after my, my experience. And um, she was very precious to me. But anyway, uh, the thing about suicide is and i didn't really understand this people abandon you in great number they literally run away a suicide survivor as we are known those who've lost somebody close to them to suicide we are the 21st century lepers we are i sometimes i used to joke kind of that i feel like i should just walk down the street in my rags yelling unclean 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 like the lepers had to do in that time period people don't want to be anywhere near me because this trauma scared them so bad and they were afraid somehow that if they got too close to me, they might catch my trauma. And that is not uncommon with people like me who've survived a severe trauma. I've never Especially heard Especially in my husband's case. Oh, man, it's brutal. I didn't know Absolutely this. brutal. And, you know, after, oh, I don't know, about five weeks, people will start, it's time for you to move on from this. You know, you're just so mopey. It's just really time for you to get past this. You're like, uh, we're not at six weeks yet. How about you give me a break? So, and I still cry when I think about him too much. I mean, it's been seven years now, seven years in April. I still cry when I think about him. So it's not anything you ever, 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 ever get over. Anyway, uh, the thing about the suicide is when people lose somebody to suicide, as did I, and as have so many people, the thing to do is show up and shut up. You know, don't say, well, my cousin's uncle's father's brother's cousin's barber killed himself. So I know just what you're going through. Oh my They're my personal favorite. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just my, like, really? My grandma died in her sleep when she was 89. So I know exactly how you feel. And people don't understand a violent, unexpected end like this is just nothing to compare it to. Devastating. In fact, somebody, somebody did a psychological study 
I need to pull it out so I can quote it. But one study likened the loss of a spouse to suicide or a child, either one pretty severe, to one of the most difficult um, mental experiences we can go or mental emotional experiences we can go through and likened it to being a concentration camp survivor. So it's just about the hardest thing you can go through on this earth. And it's when I see suicide prevention stuff, I get pretty angry still because what I hear is coulda, woulda, shoulda. You know, well, there were signs. There must have been. There must have been something. And the thing that's currently on social media, which I just want to take a knife and stab my laptop, which probably won't help anything. But the thing is, if you're feeling suicidal, just reach out to me and I'll, I'll talk with you. Even if it's two in the morning, just reach out and I'll help you. Like my husband didn't have a living spouse that adored him, that loved him, that prayed for him. If only he'd had somebody to reach out to, he'd be just fine. You know, that may work for very young people. It doesn't work. It, it's it's a horrible thing to say. It's not real. Is what you're saying? Is, yeah, stupid. It's yeah. just foolish, and it comes from people who have no idea, no idea what they're talking about. And maybe it works with kids that are, you know, in their twenties. I don't know, but I know that that whole thing of saying just reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. What does that say to somebody like me who was a loving wife? Or somebody like a mom who doted on her son or her daughter. Right. It's saying, you weren't available. Yeah. You know, if they could have just talked honestly with you, this never would have happened. Yeah, you It's know, a horrible thing. Well, what blew my mind, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but in no, your no, book, I'm done. <laughs> in your book, somebody who worked with your husband actually asked you if you were having an affair or something that would have like caused this. I mean, how obnoxious is that? I mean, that came out of nowhere, huh? And a family member, not two years ago, a family member was with me. We were alone. I thought we were having some bonding time. Apparently we weren't. (laughs) Out of the blue, this family member said, so did he kill himself because you were having an affair with a neighbor? And I, I I mean, we were washing some stuff in the house. We were wiping up some mess in the house. And I turned to them and thought, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And the thing is, uh, Winston Churchill, I think it was him, he used to say, talking about World War II, he said, a rumor can go all all the way around the world while the truth is still putting its pants on. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. People love rumors. They love a story. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to talk yourself out of a false accusation like that. You can't say, well, I I wasn't having an affair. No. And you know what? I I wasn't. (laughs) But there there are women who have affairs and the husband finds out and he offs himself, it is still not their fault. The right. fault of the person who offs themselves is the person who picks up a gun or a rope or drugs or whatever. That's whose fault it is. And the thing is, we all make mistakes every day. We run a stop sign. We get a little too drunk and we go down the highway. We all or we have an illicit affair with somebody. We all make mistakes every day. And most of the time, people get away with it. Most of the time, people get caught and the only consequence is some guilt. But this, when, you know, even if I had done all manner of horrific, I don't even say horrific, inappropriate thing, considered inappropriate by society, say, it is still not the spouse's fault. And we got to get away from that. And to me, it's very, very, and, and the other facet of this, after my husband was an attorney and an impressive man, after his death, the police, because I was out of town trying to get home on a plane. The police called me within an hour or two 
And they said, what was the nature of your last argument with him? Oh, my gosh. And then I got questioned again when I got home. And I have talked to women. That's the best part of doing these podcasts is I get letters from women who've lost a spouse to suicide. And one woman said, oh, yeah, they hauled me off to jail and put me in a holding cell. Not uncommon when your husband or wife offs themselves. The number It's a homicide investigation. And the number one suspect is the spouse. Always. So we're treating. So we get victimized, one, by this horrible act. And two, by the cops questioning us. We need an advocacy system. And I understand some other countries, they have them. But to me, this is no different. No different at all from the 1960s when a woman was a victim of a sexual assault or anybody's a victim of a sexual assault. And then we would say to her, what were you doing on the street at two in the morning? Exactly. Why were you at that bar? Yeah. Were you were you drunk when this happened? Yeah. Did, did you really you need to be wearing those high heels? Yeah. 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 Why why were you wearing that mini skirt? Yeah. We're doing the same thing. What was the nature of your last argument with your husband? I didn't do this. And nobody, nobody. I mean, there was a story about some woman, some girl who'd been bullying her high school boyfriend and said, you know, encouraged him to off himself. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that's, that. That's an extreme. You know, and who knows where the truth is in that whole story. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that may never be known. But a spouse who's sitting around just trying to get her, do her best and get through life, they should not be blamed. And one of the things that happened to me, I was at a suicide survivors group, which I used to go to those, where you sit around, talk about your loss, and we talk to each other about how to cope with this great loss. And I was at one of these, and this woman said, she said, yeah, my son, I don't know how to go on without my son. He killed himself and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But she said, I can tell you one thing. He'd still be alive if he hadn't married that bitch. Oh, my God. I was like, okay, then. I guess that would be me is in that role of the wife that can be blamed. So the role, the the spouse is just a slow moving target. So, yeah, being a suicide. And and now I'm in a place in my life. I've moved to a new place. I'm going to move again. And I just don't tell anybody, which is a lot easier to do if you haven't written a book, you know, but uh, I don't talk about it much anymore because nobody gets it. You know, you tell people my husband off himself. Oh, I lost a spouse, too. It's really hard, isn't it? Uh, Yours will die in a hospital holding your hand and saying, I love you. Mine did not. (laughs) But people don't get it. People cannot understand the enormity of the pain. Rosemary, now I know why God sent you back. Why? So you can <laughs> tell, tell so you can tell this story. So you can tell this story. So you can tell people because there is a misconception to this whole thing. Well, I want you to talk about what happened um when you did leave your body and you're in the dark. It was great times. Floating. <laughs> talk it about good times. Tell everybody about when you met God. I want I want you to tell. Or is it goddess? That was another question I have. So I'll let you tell the story. If you go to Amazon and you look at my reviews, I've got more than my share of one-star reviews. And it's not, well, I found four typos, or the quality of the writing is poor, or it was rather muddled. I had trouble, or it was clunky writing. No, she called God a she. I love She's that. The devil. Oh my gosh. All my one-star reviews is because I use a feminine pronoun to describe the divine. And that is every one-star review I got at Amazon. I'm like, 
my goodness. Did we stick to, you know, it's supposed to be about the content of the book. Did it hold your interest? Yeah. You know, oh, she, she meandered too many paths, too many bunny trails. I couldn't follow her. No, it's because at one time I used a feminine pronoun to describe God. And they don't even, I put in the book, I put in the book the reason I use a feminine pronoun right. to describe God. Right. My father abandoned me when, abandoned the family when I was 14. My father was very harsh and very unkind. And I just couldn't imagine, I could not describe a masculine quality to God. I just could not. And, and when I did, I felt sick. If God is father, I'm out. I am absolutely out. But my mom, my mom had her peccadilloes and her eccentricities, but boy, she sure loved me. And that I could wrap my mind around. Right. You know, there's nothing. My mom, my mom was so funny, so classy, so wonderful. But my mom told me this story more than once. She'd say, you're my little girl. Do you know how much I love you? Aww. And I said, I know, mom. And she'd say, you could pick up a kitchen knife. Because, you know, I'd go to her house and visit her a lot. I love my mama. She, she'd say, you could go in my kitchen and pick up the biggest knife I got and come at, come at me and stab me repeatedly in the chest. And the last words I gasp out would be, I still love you. You're my little girl. And oh, was, my God. That's a little graphic, but. <laughs> that's who she was. Well, yeah. So you, well, no, that makes a whole lot of sense because I could imagine, you know, when I read it, I thought to myself, you know, I was close to my father. My mom was a narcissist. She was like, you know, Corella DeVille was the opposite of you. So for me, it would be a man because my dad was just, I love my father and he loved me, you know, but I could see when you wrote that, why you would see. And I think maybe God shows, this is what I believe. I believe God shows us what we are most comfortable with. That's a beautiful point. And I believe that too. And when God, you know, when I, I was very early in this experience, I had, you know, my heart has stopped. How do I know that? Uh, what uh, the other question I asked myself was, um, oh, you're not, you're not dying. You're dead, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, there were several little conversations I had with myself. I really was. I can't tell you how relieved I was to hear myself giggle because you wonder, what do you leave behind? But then somewhere in there, very early on, I felt this massive spiritual being behind me to my left. And over my left shoulder and very, very, very tall. And I remember turning and looking like that. And I thought, how interesting. I'm looking over my left shoulder. I've just turned my head. So I have some form here. I have some substantial form reminiscent of what I had back on that gurney. But I said, and who are you? Kind of like, this is great. And the answer was immediate before I can finish the sentence. And I've heard this before and I never completely understood it. Right. It wasn't just an answer with words. The answers came with an infusion of understanding. But the answer was you, Rosemary, you are the image and likeness. I am the original. And I was like, whoa, that's Genesis 1, 25 and 26. I'd spent my lifetime studying the Bible and trying to understand what exactly it means to be the image and likeness of God. But when it was couched in those terms, I'm the original, I was like, well, of course, that makes so much sense. For there to be an image and likeness, there has to be an original. Mm -hmm. And so That's... I can't tell you how many times subsequently I'd be going down the road or even I remember one day I was standing in my kitchen drinking a flavored juice and it said the original. And I thought it always makes me smile when I see anything about the original because I'm like, oh, yeah, there's yeah. an original and I'm just the image and likeness. It's so comforting. But yes, if I had to say, was this male or female? My first impression is it was both. Mm. But to me, it felt feminine 
because I'm female and that's what I've been for 59 years at that point. Right. But it was so comforting. And, you know, the whole experience when I was floating away in the blackness, because I was in this blackness, couldn't see anything. And the, the blackness was actively forcing peace into me. It was like peace, 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 peace. But I could encapsulate this whole thing in three words, and it would be welcome home, dearie. They were, everyone was so happy to see me. And I'm not talking about people I know who've died. I'm talking about the spiritual beings that were with me. They were so happy. I was like, my whole life, I've been a weirdo. And I've been called that a lot, a freak, a weirdo. And these people were saying, no, you're, you're back home. Yeah. You're with us. Yeah. Because you know that you. old song. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. that old song. I keep meaning to memorize the lyrics, but going home, going home, I'm just going home. And that's what it was. This earth, man, this dirt ball is freakishly weird i know it right? is depressing it is dense it is heavy and people are just doing the autonomous autonomous thing walking around and i'm thinking do you know where you are and you know i i've been dating a golfer and i didn't know this but they say he would say i'm going to go out and play a few rounds i'm either going to hit the big ball or the little ball and i was like what are you talking about he said well the big ball is earth <laughs> and the little ball is the golf ball okay i didn't I know like, that <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, that's really all this is, is a big dirt ball, you know? Well, we're, we're This is really here. all it is. Yeah, we're down here to learn. Well, you saw angels. And here's another question I have for you. So you get through the black, and you're into this really white room, and you talk about this mist. And this really fascinated me, because I've not heard this before. You say there was an ultra-white mist, and you sense that every droplet represented something divine and holy. Explain yes, this. I did something. that. I need to read that book. That's a good book. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I read that book and edited and edited and edited and <laughs> had somebody else professionally and read it and read it and edit. And I was like, I can't look at that book one more time. But it's been a while now. Uh, I remember being in that white room and this mist was actively moving around me, like dancing, swirling around me. Okay. And I am still in what I would, I guess, was a human esque form. And I remember trying to focus on an individual droplet of this white, white, white mist. And I remember thinking, I ought to be able to see an individual droplet. And, you know, if you're ever in a fog again, try to look at a droplet. And, you know, somebody's going to think you're a nut. Yeah. But the angel or the spiritual being that was with me said, your spiritual eyes have not acclimated to this new environment yet. But what you're looking at or what you would see is a particle of light. These aren't droplets. This isn't vapor. This is light. It's light. And I was told. Somewhere in this, and I, I don't know the specific chronology, you know, Einstein said to those of us who are committed physicists, the past, present, future are only illusion, however mm -hmm. persistent. Mm -hmm. And that's, so when I say this happened and then this happened and then this happened, that's what my memory says, but who knows, really, in the divine, what is time? But um, the angel said at some point in that white room, if you agree to go back, you'll be wholly restored. And they didn't say you'll be healed of this or healed of that, or this will be better. It was wholly restored. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't words. It was just, and, and at this point, I remember one of my very early thoughts was I felt like I'd been released for really given early release for good behavior. I mean, I was 59 and I was dead and I had been just diagnosed with stage two cancer. 
And I had uh, once a week chemo set up and daily radiation five days a week. And I remember thinking, as I'm floating away from the body, I remember thinking, that's no longer a problem. And I was so grateful. But I was very grateful for the whole thing. But anyway, and then, you know, as my book describes, I was coerced (laughs) into going back. I did not want to go back. Not at all. Boy, did I not want to go back. But I was shown a nurse who had promised me that she wasn't going to let me die when I was in the in that little ER. Yeah, you and say, I'm going to I'm going to quote you. You saw the nurse sitting on a stool <laughs> sobbing uncontrollably. And you promised that wo- she said, I promised this woman I wasn't going to let her die. And I lost her. God forgive me. And you saw this. I saw it. And the thing was, it wasn't a vision. I was in the room watching this event unfold. I was like a, a, an invisible being watching her. And then I, I said, listen, she's a nurse. She's been in, she looks about my age. She's about ready to retire. She'll get over this. But then it, it like ramped up a notch. And I wasn't just witnessing this from a physical perspective. I felt her emotional agony at having promised me she wasn't going to let me die and then losing me. I felt it. And it was awful. And I felt it like right in the center of my being. And I remember feeling just like, oh, I, if I, and I remember thinking that's the pain I knew from the grief involving my husband's suicide. And I remember so clearly thinking, again, this could be the angels or God put this into my thought, but I am very empathic. But I remember thinking so clearly, if I can spare one person walking this earth that much pain, I guess I have to go back. And boy, that was tough. And I remember I had put my right hand up to push through this door out of the white room into wherever. And I knew that door meant a line of demarcation. You know, that was a delineation between here and there. So you saw the door. What did the door look like? It was just an ordinary door. Absolutely. It was a white room, no baseboard, no crown, no lights, just a white room, pearlescent. Actually, I say luminescent white but i put my hand up to just push through the door and uh i remember thinking i'm right-handed on earth and right-handed in heaven how cool is that but i remember after this seeing this woman in this vision i put my hand back at my side and i said it's this could ruin her if i if i go i guess i have to go back and boy in a millisecond i was back on that gurney and a lot of people have said oh you were seeing the future or you were seeing a concurrent event, it was not concurrent. I think it was a potential future. That's what I think it was. Because they were still working on me back in that little ER. There was a lot of medical people in that little room trying to get me back to life or back to earthly life. Right. That's the thing. Because one, one of the big takeaways for me is there is no death. You know, for the people left behind, they're like, well, you know, we can't send her Christmas cards. We can't go out to the movies with her. We can't hug her. We can't enjoy her presence. But for the person having the experience, it is seamless. It is really seamless. You know, and it's it's just so close. It's just so very close. And I mean, this has happened over, well, I guess it's right at five years ago now. And I think about it every single day. And somebody told me a few days ago, I talk about it too much. No, that's okay. But it's a very, yeah, it's a very big part of my life now. Well, yeah, God is I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, to me, I, I, I mean, I know there's a, a study of, 
I could make a study of blades of grass in the sunlight, and I do. Sometimes I go out and I just look at the blades of grass and I think, y'all are amazing. Y'all are so beautiful. You know, you're cut and you keep growing. And this blade of grass knows, knows to be this color and this one's that color. I, I just, I do find beauty in such curious little things. You know, a mother picking up her child at the mall and smiling at her. And I see it all as coming from God. It's so clear to me that God is the source of all. And when you see a mother hugging and kissing her baby, that's God showing us a little bit of love on earth. When we see the grass, I had to drive through my backyard the other day and, you know, all the grass goes like that. And yet, you know, I look out there after the rain and the grass is going back up and I'm like, gosh, you know, that's God saying things can be healed and restored and repaired. Things can get trounced, but God is the creator of everything, everything. And I guess this experience just made me see that. And I still get bogged down and I still cry at times and get frustrated and all that stuff. But it was a, it was an incredible experience. And, you know, when I came back from this thing, I had to find a new oncologist. It turns out when you walk in their office and say, good news, I won't be needing that chemo and ra- or radiation. I was healed in heaven. They, they literally wrote on my chart mentally ill. Oh, my goodness. Because, you know, they do that patient portal thing where you can go online and look at your chart. Are you serious? Yeah. So when you came back. I had to find another oncologist. Okay. So hold that. Let me, let me just wrap my head around this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You come back into your body. The nurse is still sitting there. She had been calling your name. And oh yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered that. I do need to read that book again. (laughs) Yeah. She had been calling your name. And so 35 to 40 times she screamed my name. And then at what point, like, did you, so, you know, you're back in your body. Did you just open your eyes? And then she realized that you weren't gone. I mean, talk about what happened when you did come back into your body, if you would, for a moment. My memory is the moment from being in that white room and putting my right hand back at my side and saying, this is going to ruin that nurse. Or I think I said, it's going to ruin that nurse's day uh, to being back in that body. I mean, there was no push. There was no getting pulled back. It was not a millisecond. It was instantaneous reinsertion into the body. I remember all I remember and see memory can be fickle because my brain had not had any oxygenated blood in much more than 10 minutes at this point. But I remember opening my eyes and I remember looking at the left hand corner of the, the hospital room, right where the ceiling meets the left corner. And there was an angel there, just kind of like a little ball of light angel. Really, that's all she was, was a ball of light. And there wasn't a face, there wasn't a human form, but just this beautiful, sparkly ball of light. And I said, what? Do you know, actually what I said was, do you know how much energy it takes to die? I didn't. I did not want to come back. And I think I said something, because I used to be a parliamentarian for church meetings. And I think I said something like, Robert's rules of order here. We had a first... We certainly did not have a second, and we never got to the discussion phase. And the angel said, hello. <laughs> they don't answer questions. Uh, not in that case, anyway. They, didn't, they did not answer questions. But yeah, I remember thinking, ah, oh, come on. And they had an oxygen mask on me, or maybe it was a cannula, whatever. But I, I was on oxygen, mm-hmm. and they had all kinds of, you know, they had an IV or two going Uh and lots, everybody was in that room. And uh, I was I was very, very quickly, I was put on a gurney 
And by quickly, it seems to me it was like two or three minutes. They had an ambulance waiting outside the door and they threw me on a gurney and away I went in the ambulance. And as they're loading me into the ambulance, I remember very clearly thinking my whole life I've been reading about NDEs and I just had one and it was great, <laughs> except it wasn't anything like I've heard about. And that's the other thing. People say, oh, you're just doing this for the money. You probably made it all up. You know, oh, I, no. I get a few of those. What I want to tell them is I'm a writer. I bet you I have read 80% of all the NDE books out there, maybe more. I love them. I read them. I actually stopped reading them after my own experience so I could write my book with a certain degree of purity, you know, mm -hmm. and not get influenced by other people's words, thoughts, or phrases. But if I was going to make up an NDE story, I would do the traditional stuff. You know, I felt myself being pulled through a tunnel. I saw wildflowers. I saw my loved ones. Yeah. I'm like, what's this white room business, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Subsequent to my story being published, I've had, I think, four or five people now contact me and say they had an NDE as well. And they also went to the white room. Mm -hmm. So this white room thing is not unheard of. Interesting. But yeah, it was, it was all pretty weird. So yeah, I get put in the ambulance and, you know, whisked away. And it, in the back of the ambulance, I'm on an oxygen mask. And I remember they had raised my feet way up on the gurney. And one of the ambulance attendants said to me, are you comfortable with your feet raised up that high? Because they're trying to get blood flow back to my chest. They're trying to keep me alive till they get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the other ambulance driver, I remember this so clearly, he said, it doesn't matter if she's comfortable or not. That's how she's going to the hospital. And then I had this oxygen mask on. And there was an angel in the back of the ambulance with me that kept telling me funny stories and just funny <laughs> little insights you know, and I can't remember what they were, but I remember I would take that oxygen mask off and laugh and laugh and laugh. And I remember the attendant would come over and he'd snap it back on and he'd say, you have to stop taking that off. And I'd say, but they're so funny. They're just so <laughs> funny. <laughs> well, but yeah, I don't know who, who, what angel was in that ambulance, but they're funny. They're funnier than me. Yes. And that's saying something. I love it. I love it. And thank you for that. Because, you know, I talk about the angels all the time, and they're all around us. And they they are here with us. I had somebody come on my show to tell me uh, that, you know, if somebody had uh, dementia, that how would they make it to heaven? And I'm like, well, their angel would help them. Well, we don't all have guardian angels. I'm like, yes, we do. We absolutely all have angels. And they're here to help us. They're God's helpers. I love it. I do believe they're God helpers, but I mean, I'm 60, almost 64 now. I do think some of us sign up for the advanced class. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mean to. Apparently when I was checking boxes, I just like got bored with checking sure, the individual. I just put a line right through every box on the left, you know, loss of parental figure, family problems, oh, you know, no. health issues. All the way down, I just said, let's do them all this time. Let's get them all out of the way. All of them. Because you don't want to come back again. Well, let's talk about you uh, when you did wake up and you were completely, you know, clear of any kind of cancer or anything. I mean, yeah, that, that was a big deal. That had to have been a big deal to the doctors and the nurses. I can't believe they put that on your chart after here you are completely clear. Well, I mean, it had to connect somehow. You know what I mean? You know, what's really interesting 
I don't think I've shared this. I think it's in my book, but so they're wheeling me in the, gur- in the gurney. You know, I'm on the gurney. They're wheeling me to a place in the hospital because I was in the hospital for, I think, four days. I mean, when you bleed to death, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So they're wheeling me in the gurney and, and, and you know, we're just going forever, forever on this gurney and everything. And I look up and the sign says oncology ward. Well, I try to grab the rail. You know, there's, there's vertical hand, or horizontal handrails all through the hospital. I try to grab one of the rails and say, you turn this thing around. I am not a cancer patient. You can whip this thing around, but I will not be on a cancer ward. I am not a cancer patient. I do not need to be here. So you turn this around. And I literally tried to sit up enough and grab the rail on to the side them. to say to stop them. Yeah. And this nurse comes by and you know, kind of peels my fingers off the rail. And she goes, Rosemary, we also put overflow patients here. She said, we're, we're going to go on down the hall now. And, uh, and then they had a cancer person come and talk to me the next day. Said, we understand you've been diagnosed. And, and you know what really made me angry? They had these massive colorful brochures on dealing with cancer, how to survive chemo, what's radiation going to be like. I mean, I was looking at this thing as, a, and as somebody who had self-published some books, I thought this thing cost a fortune from production to creation to getting it on this slick silver stock i was like or colorful stock this is crazy and i said please leave please leave my room i am not a cancer patient i'm not going to be a cancer patient and i've asked you to leave twice now please leave and she said well i'll leave this here for you she said i understand you're upset i said i'm upset with you and i'm asking you to leave and i've asked you repeatedly now and i said please take that with you she said no i'm going to leave the document here because you need to read this through Oh my and gosh. I always told her what to do with that document because I was losing my basic Southern good manners, you know, and, you know, she left it on the hospital table and I, uh, I don't, I, I had a visitor shortly after her and I asked my visitor, I said, take that thing and go find a trash can down the hall, but I don't want that in my room. And sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm not victim blaming or anything, but I know sometimes it just seems like society's saying, you're not behaving the way you ought to be behaving right now. That's right. You're sick. You got problems. And one of the things I was told in the white room is the reason we go to the white room, it's, you know, this is my interpretation, but it's a spiritual car wash that sometimes people become so deeply entrenched in identifying with the disease process, they don't realize it's no part of their true spiritual identity. Right. They think it's part of them. And we can't have that and go to heaven. We have to be shed of that. And so the whole experience of this little dance with the whole cancer thing was really terrifying and unnerving. But yeah, the the gynecological oncologist with whom I dealt was adamant that I would take the chemo and I would do the radiation. And I said, listen, this is a big decision. I need some time to think about this. And their office called me repeatedly, and I had to go find another oncologist because I did want to follow up. I wanted to affirm that it was indeed gone. And she waited two months before she'd do a subsequent surgery because of the catastrophic blood loss. And uh, and yet that surgery, I mean, she took a lot of flesh. It was a surgery. It took three hours. She took a lot of flesh from a lot of places. And she was, I think, happier or as happy as I was. When she reported, she said, not only is there not one cell of cancer anywhere that I looked in your body, she said, but your flesh is so pink and pretty and perfect. I wouldn't believe you even had cancer had I not seen those early tests. So it was a very dramatic healing. And I really think the next frontier of humanity is going to be the recognition that we are spiritual beings and spiritual healing is possible. But I don't believe you can have spiritual healing while you're so enmeshed 
in this whole medical thing. Well, they've made I mean, it a thing. They've made it like, like you said, it's just, you know, thank you for talking about the pamphlets and all of that. And instead of you saying, you know, I, I believe I don't have it anymore. I don't want this. I don't want to bring it back into my energy field or whatever by reading this stuff. You know, you were trying to get rid of it and they want to put you in that box. You they know, do. I really resented that. And the other thing I thought about is why aren't we putting this kind of, actually, this is my very thought. Why are we putting this kind of money into helping suicide widows or suicide widowers? Why are we putting all this money into saying, you will play this part. You will be sick and sickly and depressed. You will play this part and you will do it till the end. I so resent that. You know what, Rosemary, when you were talking about this and those pamphlets, what I was thinking is, why don't they put a pamphlet in there that says, pray and God will heal you. You know what I mean? At least mean? it's an option. It is an, At least well, it's an it's, option. It's a huge option. <laughs> God heals us if we want to be healed and if we connect with the divine. So talk about, you're a whole different person now. Eh, I was kind of different before. But I mean, you're you're a happy soul. I listened to your voicemail because I had to call you real quick. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she's a real happy soul. And I could tell by your voicemail that you were a happy soul. So you came back. You're completely healthy. You have a wonderful connection with the divine and the, the God and the goddess, I'll say. And <sighs> yeah, I, I believe that we have a God and a goddess. And so how is, you know, how's your life now? Tell us how your life is now. Man, I was not cut out for this world. That just becomes more apparent every day. I don't know. It's on one hand, my life has gotten a lot better. I mean, that, that's the true. And one thing I keep on my phone, I don't even know if you can see it, but one thing I have on my phone that means the world to me, I used to keep a daily list of gratitude of the things that happened in my life for which I was grateful. Mm -hmm. And now I keep a new list and I keep it on my phone. Well, and us. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a list of the miracles that have happened every day. Oh, like, wow. Things that there's no way this could have happened. Um, Do you want to share little a things couple? I hear? Yeah. Yeah. One was... Um, this was a, this was a fascinating one. This happened four twenty eight twenty three. A friend of mine, a very very dear friend. In fact, the person to whom the book is dedicated, his name was George. He died fairly recently, and I was devastated. Well, he had sent me an email two or three years ago, and in that email, he had a lot of quotes about writers who had tried and tried and tried and failed, and then had a success. Right. And it was also like it was an Abraham Lincoln quote in there too. But he sent me, it was like six pages of these beautiful quotes. Well, after his death, I thought I need to read that again. And I went all through my emails. I went all through everything on my desktop. I put in, you know, his name, his last name, the quotes, Lincoln, everything. I could not find that email. And I was just devastated because I thought I need to read that thing from George again. Mm -hmm. I really do. Well, something went wrong in my house and I lost power. And when the power came back on, my printer fired up. And when the printer came on, it started printing pages. And it printed out that list of quotes from George. Yeah. And I was in awe. I mean, you're almost like, okay, that was just a tiny bit spooky. Yeah. But it's not. It's a miracle. Yeah. And I have, and then another one, and th th there were a lot that are little like this. Because I didn't say, I want this thing to happen. And I didn't even pray hard about it. I was like, I miss George. I want to hear his voice, even if it's just on paper. I want to hear from George again. And then the other thing that happened, this is more typical. I was in my car rolling down the road. And I still struggle with loneliness at times. Yeah. And I thought, I'm so alone. I have the angels. 
but I want human companionship. I'm so alone. I need this loneliness to stop. Because honestly, having an NDE can be even a more isolating event. You know, people will be dismissive and they'll say, well, you probably weren't really dead. And yet I have medical proof. Yeah. You know, they don't want to hear that. Right. I even have family members that say I made it all up. I'm like, well, really? Why not ask me? Yeah. They don't even believe I was in Wait the till they get there, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of them Hello? said, well, actually, and I said, I, I thought to myself, I said, well, if somebody told me a magnificent or a fabulous story like this, I'd say, well, tell me about your time in the hospital. What hospital were you in? How long were you there? What was it like? I wouldn't say, we well, made it all up. I'd ask some questions about it. But anyway, so I'm in the car and I'm feeling pretty sad and so lonely. I really wish I had more people in my life, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And this work truck pulls up next to me, work truck. And on the back, it was a bumper sticker that said, you were never alone. Yep. And I was like, that's pretty good timing. That's pretty impressive. And I always, you know, I always look up and say, thank you. I got the memo. And you know, the funny thing, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, this was one that really knocked my socks off. So I was thinking, I've been widowed seven years now. And I had one boyfriend, whatever we call him now, a suitor for a few months and it didn't work out well. It's one of those things that ended so bad. You're like, Man, that didn't just end bad. That went. That was a dumpster fire <laughs> floating down a flooded street. Oh you know? my god! That's how that ended. But I thought, okay, what kind of man do I want? <sighs> Boy, it'd be really nice if he was a university professor because I like smart people. Yeah. And I thought I, I really like because I grew up in the Virginia Beach area, mm-hmm. and I thought it'd be really nice to have somebody who had some military experience because you know they get they get good health insurance. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and they also know how to make their own bed and fold their socks. There you, you know? go. There you go. So that'd be really nice too. And then I thought, and he needs to be funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely needs to be funny. And he needs to like to drive. My vision isn't that great anymore. And I thought, I want somebody who can drive me around. I thought, I want somebody to drive me to church too. Uh-huh. And I went through this list and then I thought, you know, I always said I wanted a tall man. But maybe he, it's okay if he's not as tall as me because I'm 5'9". Oh, wow. I thought, yeah, because then maybe they'll be more open-minded. And then I thought, I, and I want somebody who gets my heart, not somebody who just says, you're so smart and you've written books. I said, I want somebody who gets my heart, who gets me, go. who understands me. Yeah. <laughs> I met this man who's a retired university professor, 20 years in the military, He's two inches shorter than me. He's about the funniest guy I ever met. And he says, well, one of my requirements is it'd be really nice to have somebody that will go to church with me. (laughs) It's like, check, check, check. Blessings, blessings. Yeah. And I never wrote this down. I mean, I usually do this, you know, four-page mission statement of like, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that and I want this. Nope. And oh, the other thing is I want somebody who knows how to have fun. just knows how to have fun. It doesn't have to be the shaman or spiritual guru. It just has to be somebody who knows how. Oh, you guys, she froze there for a second. I don't know why. Amazing. I mean, I just kind of said, yeah, I want this, 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 this. And then he came into my life. Yeah, you froze there for a second. I guess my internet oh, was unstable. No, it's my internet. Mine was unstable. Might be too. But you so met I, him. I, 
And I think that's I said, so yeah, wonderful. I, I just put my wish out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even, oh, God, please send this man into my life wherever he may be. It was, yeah, that's what I want. And I want that. And I want and that. And you want it specifically. Want yeah. And you got it. See? I can hardly believe the detail that God paid. Oh my gosh. And then we're out because we, of course, been glued to each other's hips ever since. I mean, we go everywhere. We do everything together. We're constantly together. And sometimes, and this is so foreign to me. I, I haven't had that much deja vu in my life, but I have had more deja vu with this man than I've ever had in my lifetime. That he'll be driving down the road and, you know, I'll look at him because he's got a big truck, of course, because I'm a greenie, you know, so God's saying, watch this. He's going to drive a car that gets 18 miles a gallon while you're running around town in your Prius that gets 55. So just watch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I was watching him drive and, you know, he's got beautiful silver hair and he's driving down the road. And I looked at him and I thought, this is, this is someone, this is my someone. This is my person. Mm-hmm. And it was deja vu. And it was like flat fast. Fast forwarding two or three years and realizing, oh, yeah, he's going to be driving me around for a long time because he's already driven me around. And what I'm seeing is what I've already experienced. It was pretty out there even for me. I love it. But it's been... It's been great, but life has not been sunshine and roses since I came back. I was going to say, aren't you glad you came back? Because you met the guy. I mean, that's so cool. I also met the dumpster fire, you know, floating down the flooded street. (laughs) So, you know, you have a few bad ones and you bring in the good ones. I just think it's wonderful. I'm I'm so glad you came on the show today. And I'm so glad you wrote this book. Honestly, you know, it's really needed. And you're so honest. About, well, no, I mean, you know, Thank you, I think, <laughs> no, I mean, you have to be, you got to be real because people like real yeah. people are tired of the, the pamphlets. People are tired of being in the box. People, yeah. I, I really feel, and I don't want to sound like I'm preaching here, but that's why I do the show. You know, people are connecting with the divine and realizing that there's more to life. I, I didn't get a chance. We've been on for over an hour, but I didn't get a Oopsie. chance to no, it's fine, but I didn't get a chance to talk about um, how you like got rid of material possessions because that oh, really that was me great. Hard. Yeah, you guys got to read this that. book. I'm telling you, it's really, really good. Um, it's called Remembering the Light. Do you have a copy that you could hold up to show them the cover? Rosemary? I don't. That's Isn't that a, a pretty cover, though? It's a beautiful. Co- Let's see. I've got a. Yeah, I've got a tiny. It's a beautiful cover. It's Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life. And it's by Rosemary Thornton. And it's T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. Okay, you guys. Just like Rose Thorne. Yes, I love it. Is there what would you like to leave us with today? It was such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. There are days I get it's so easy to get mired down in the everydayness of life, you know, to yeah. get mired down in the health insurance person you talk to that says, Well, your deductible will be two hundred dollars if you choose from our preferred network. But if you go outside the network, but if it's in network, but if you go to this hospital but not this hospital, I had that call yesterday. Oh man. Stop it. <laughs> Just tell me what do I owe? I can't anyway. So, you know, you have that like, I'm so holy and good. And then you're, you know, listening to your health insurance options and you're like, I should never have come back. Right. This well, is so who and 
So yes, it's it's. What do I want to leave you with? Something lovely and good. Honestly, I guess what I would revert, revert to is the suicide stuff. That not to be a Debbie Downer, but to say if you know somebody who's lost somebody to suicide, don't call up and say what do you need me to do for you. Call up and say I'm coming by Tuesday with dinner. I'll drop it off. I'll just ring the bell and leave it on your front stoop. Or say can I come by Thursday and walk the dog? Or say. Uh, offer to do something specifically. Can I come clean out the litter box for you? I mean, really offer to do something mm-hmm. specific because a lot of times um, people like me can't even go out to dinner. We can't even engage socially. I mean, I, I lived out of my car very briefly because I was so jacked up. So just, if you know somebody who's been through that, just remember they can barely, they can barely brush their teeth. Don't expect much from them. Be kind, be kind, be kind, be kind. And all these homeless people we see around, yeah. All these homeless people, yeah, I know there are people out there playing games and they're not since you know they, they're not really having a hardship. But I'll bet you a lot of homeless people have been through one too many traumas and have simply lost the ability to function in society anymore. Yeah, I agree with you. I um uh, I did a story yesterday. Um I do a news with Nancy and, and the story was talking about how um this house was on fire in Arizona and the mother, you know, had two little children and it said that a homeless man, you know, said, had come to the window and said, you know, have the children jump. And she had to think, it, they wrote, she had to think whether or not she wanted this homeless man to, to, to rescue her children. And I thought, are you kidding me wow. right now? Yeah, this is the soul. People are souls in these bodies, regardless of whether you're homeless or not. We're still all souls and we're children of God. And we are loved and we are loved and it doesn't matter. And, you know, a lot of people, like you said, go through trauma. There's so many homeless right now. It's so hard to see. And uh, people have been gone through a lot of stuff and we don't have the facilities or the, we don't care about our mentally ill here. You know, know, when this happened to me, when this thing happened to me, um, the soonest psychiatrist appointment was, I think, three or four weeks away. And I said, I'm not going to last three weeks, I was living in 15 minute increments. Yeah. And because I had a friend who was a mental health care worker, she got her friend, the psychiatrist to remain in her office after work hours. So I had an immediate appointment. That should not be the deal. We have no place in our society for trauma uh, survivors. We don't know what to do with them. And then we're surprised when they, they give up on life and they do something horrible to themselves or they end up living out of their car. I mean, it is jacked up. And speaking as an architectural historian, I do know a little something about houses. We got to look at the housing codes in this country and probably do away with a lot of them because housing codes are creating such a barrier to affordable housing. It's insane. It is insane. Somebody is better off living in a modest little simple home from a hardware store that sold a 400 square foot kit then living in some tent city that has been, uh, you know, an ad hoc tent, tent city somewhere. Mm-hmm. But our housing codes and ordinances and zoning is just all screwed up. Yeah. That's and a housing, whole nother, Yeah. It's a whole nother show. Yeah, Let I me know. tell you. you well, no, seriously. Rabbit hole. Well, I'll tell you this, Rosemary. That's my goal. I'm just going to throw it out there. And I've told the audience this. Once um, High Road to Humanity hits it really big. I am going to build houses for the homeless Mm. because I really, not big houses, like you're talking about, just 
a small house, to have a bed yeah. to sleep in, to feel safe, to have shelter, to feel like a human being and to have running water and a toilet and a shower for God's sakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's a whole nother show. I am so glad you came today, you guys. It's called Remembering <laughs> the Light, How Dying Saved My Life by Rosemary Thornton. And again, thanks for joining us on the high road. We got to get out of here for today. <laughs> But Rosemary, thank you. And you guys, if you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com. It's under construction, but book your date and time. I am doing some public speaking. So if you'd like to book that, you're welcome to. And definitely get out there and buy her book. All right, you guys, I'm going to get out of here for today. This is High Road to Humanity. This is Nancy Yearout. Everybody have a fabulous weekend and God bless.